Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host, Lucas Ravodio, about to have a Beyonce moment as I break away from the shackles of guests and co-hosts and get a taste of life as a solo act. We're almost a third of the way through the year, and I'm dying to tell you about a few memorable LA dining experiences I've had so far in 2023. There are quite a few to choose from, but I've boiled it down to the top four most memorable I've had so far. So buckle up for tales of tacos, canpachi, and pasta, oh my, and be warned, this episode is guaranteed to make you hungry. You're going to want to have your DoorDash app ready to go. So without further ado, let's chow down. We're about a third of the way through the year, which I cannot believe. But what that means is that I've already had some pretty incredible dining experiences in 2023, and there are a few that have really stood out to me and that I wanted to share with you. So first and foremost, I'm going to have to tell you about a sandwich. Now, for those of you who don't know, one thing that I do is each year I take on a new food. I take on a new food as a challenge. In 2021, I ate 100 pizzas in 365 days. Um, In 2022, I visited 100 different LA taquerias in 365 days. And this year, I'm making it my mission to try 100 different epic sandwiches in Los Angeles. Now, this one on its face sounds like the easiest challenge I've taken on, you know, I remember when I announced this on TikTok back in January, some person commented like, so are you telling me you're just going to have lunch every couple days? Because mathematically, that's what it comes down to, right? It's like having a sandwich every two, three days, um, and then you've accomplished the challenge. But it's not that simple. What I'm doing is I am trying to basically make a ranking, an archive, if, of, if you will, of iconic or epic or super hot right now LA sandwiches. So think like the number 19 at Langer's. Think of like the French dip at Philippe's. Think of those hot new sandwiches like the ones at Giada or the Katsu Sando sandwiches that you can get in Little Tokyo. So, so far, I this has been truly one of the best food experiences I've had so far because pizza was great in 2021. Um, I love pizza. It's my favorite food. But you're getting a lot of margaritas. You're getting a lot of pepperoni. Same with tacos. You know, yes, there are some diverse tacos out there. But for the most part, you're getting a lot of, you know, al pastor or carne asada or, you know, the usual suspects. With sandwiches, you could probably do a different type of sandwich every day. Uh, for the year and never have the same sandwich twice. And it's not just the variety of sandwich. It's also like where the sandwiches come from, like the, the, the regions, the cultures they come from. You know, you got the banh mi in Vietnam. You've got uh, the torta in Mexico. Um, you've got like, you've got a, a whole variety of American classic sandwiches, whether it's, you know, your Jewish deli sandwiches or your, you know, Italian-American grinders. Honestly, there's so much variety, it's kind of a headache to even make a plan of where to go next. Uh, I have this running list of sandwiches that I want to go check out, and I think it's, I'm not kidding when I say there are like 150 on there right now, and I am now thinking, I'm, I may very well have to go and eat more than 100 different sandwiches this year in order to make this thing exhaustive, you know, in order to make this thing representative of all of the sandwiches that LA has to offer. Now, I'm about 30 sandwiches into this journey so far, and I've had some spectacular sandwiches. I've had the aforementioned number 19 at Langer's, which so far has the highest, has received the highest grade of this journey. Um, but then I've had some like truly surprising numbers as well. Like for example, I went to uh, Chef Kaniko Yagi's uh, fried chicken concept at the Row, and I had her golden turmeric fried chicken sandwich, and that thing absolutely blew my mind. It's one of the most incredibly like incredibly balanced sandwiches I've ever had. 
first of all, you know, you've got this beautiful golden yellow turmeric infused roll that it's served on that's been hollowed out so that the construction of all the things that it contains remains perfect and super compact. Inside, you've got this perfectly fried karage style chicken, which she uses exclusively the dark meat. And that sounds like something that a lot of other places would do because everybody knows dark meat chicken's way better than light meat chicken. But for the most part, a lot of those fried chicken sandwiches that you find around town tend to be white meat for some reason. But at Picunico, them using the dark meat sandwich makes all the difference. Now, she does an incredible job of the things that she pairs this sandwich with in order to really sort of complement it and elevate what's going on. She adds a miso jam. She adds some incredible pickles. It's got this like umami, like sour, like briny thing going on. It's a perfect sandwich um, and, you know, has been one of the most surprising bites I've had all year. But the sandwich and the shop that I wanted to get into a little bit more detail isn't Langer's. It's not Picunico's. It's actually one of the most Instagrammed sandwich that's out there uh, right now. It's a place called Uncle Polly's. Now, if you haven't heard of Uncle Polly's, you've probably seen like celebrities wearing Uncle Polly's merch and maybe haven't even realized it. Uh, there are certain places in Los Angeles that kind of become like celebrity favorites. You know, this happened with John and Vinny's um, where like, you know, Pete Davidson was often seen going in and out or like wearing John and Vinny's merch. Um, it happens with places like Medeo that Drake throws in songs um, and all of a sudden become kind of like pop culture hits. But Uncle Polly's is sort of in that school of a place where celebrities seem to flock to. All of the like LA food cool kids seem to love this place. It's very Instagrammed. Um, and, you know, their content on Instagram is, is pretty good. You know, they're, they're, they're posting like videos where sandwiches are looking tasty and it makes you want to go there. And... What I found is that that doesn't always mean the sandwich is going to be good. That just means they have a good social media team. And I've been disappointed plenty of times visiting spots that have incredible social media games, but that can actually back it up with great food. Now, that's what I assumed was going to happen when I went to Uncle Polly's. I assumed that I was going to go there and it was just going to be this like Instagrammy place. There were a couple other things that also made me skeptical. First of all, it's location. I went to the OG location, which is on uh, 3rd Street, kind of near the Grove. You know, it's that like very trendy area uh, where you've got like Vanderpump dogs and uh, you've got a sweet green next door. And, you know, it's where uh, it's where like uh, Son of a Gun is and, and all those like kind of more bougie spots are. Now, not exactly where you'd expect to go get like an Italian grinder necessarily. The other thing that made me skeptical of this place was that I always hate it when a restaurateur starts a new business because their motivation is that Los Angeles doesn't have any good version of whatever it is they think they've perfected. This often happens with pizza, right? Like you get a pizza person from the East Coast and is like, Oh, Los Angeles, it doesn't have any good pizza. So they come in and they try to make like a slice shop or something, not realizing that actually we've got incredible pizza in Los Angeles. It just looks a little different than what you're used to. Uh, that's kind of what Uncle Polly's uh, rationale for starting their sandwich shop was. In a press release dated 2017 uh, when, they, uh, when they launched, uh, I, the press release literally says that like this guy, uh, Paul James, I guess, an Italian-American guy from New York, uh, he wanted to start an Italian-American deli in the Beverly Grove section of Los Angeles because when he moved here in 2015, and here's his struggle story, he struggled to find a traditional East Coast sandwich. Man, that's that's tough. That's tough. Now, 
you and I, listener, know that that's bullshit. <laughs> there are lots of different great East Coast sandwiches around LA. But that's why Paul James said he wanted to start Uncle Polly's. And, you know, when I read that before I even went there, I was like, okay, this sucks. You know, like, I'm not going to like this place. So I went in there with all these preconceived notions and, um, I, I am expecting to have a mediocre experience, right? So I order a sandwich and their most popular sandwich happens to be this thing called the Italian, which is pretty much just supposed to be a regular Italian sandwich with your cold cuts, your provolone, a little bit of veggie, some like dressing and whatnot. And I'm not super excited about this because when you go to delis, it turns out a lot of these places, their most popular sandwich is the Italian sandwich. So I've had an Italian sandwich already at Bay Cities. I've had one at Roma Market in Pasadena. I've had one at uh, Eagle Rock Bakery and Italian Deli in Eagle Rock. And those are all like classic institutions. So I wasn't very excited to go to this like very Instagrammy place and have a sandwich that I'd already had multiple times in the past weeks. So that said, I still order the sandwich and it comes down and immediately I can tell that they've they've done some things differently with this sandwich. First of all, they've taken the liberty of adding some roasted red peppers, which isn't typical. They've also omitted doing some things that a lot of Italian sandwiches do, which is they didn't add any mustard or mayo. Um, and it's kind of interesting because mustard and mayo are not things you'd find on a lot of actually Italian sandwiches in Italy. But for some reason, a lot of the like grinders around LA tend to throw that in there. So I was very much expecting to get mustard and mayo in the Uncle Paul's Italian sandwich, but they didn't do it. Instead, they let their house-made red wine vinegar dressing be the sauce. And this wasn't just dressing from a bottle. This was freshly made from scratch and the thing that jumped out to me is that as soon as I took a bite into the sandwich I could immediately tell that they were just using extraordinarily high quality olive oil the fragrance of it it was just it, you really didn't need any other sauce it was just absolutely beautiful olive oil which soaked up a little bit of the bread and then it created this really nice bite with the layered cold cuts and the provolone cheese. So what I'm trying to say, listeners, is that after I took a bite of Uncle Paul's Italian sandwich, I started to second guess everything. I was like, wait, am I the asshole for thinking that this was just going to be another Instagram, uh, Instagram celebrity spot? No, uh, this is actually good food. And uh, I walked out of there having pounded an entire sandwich that I wasn't even that hungry for because I was enjoying the bites so much. Um, the other thing that really pleasantly surprised me about Uncle Polly's is that it was affordable. You know, one of the things I've noticed during my sandwich countdown is sandwich prices are through the roof, folks. Like inflation has hit sandwiches hard. You cannot walk into like a Jewish deli these days and expect to pay less than like 30 bucks. You know, the Langer's pastrami sandwich is like 24 bucks. The Cantor's one is also around $20. I hear Brent's has gotten very expensive as well. Italian sandwiches, you know, you're still looking at about 15 bucks. Um, but I was expecting to be paying that Beverly Grove tax uh, on Uncle Polly's or that like Pete Davidson tax. Turns out I didn't pay any tax. It was $14, which I thought was very, very uh, uh, in line with what I've seen in other places. And the deli sides were also on the affordable side, about five bucks for, you know, side pasta salads or a, a slice of cheesecake if you want dessert or something. Extremely pleasantly surprised with the value of this place as well. So Uncle Polly's, that was one of the most surprising uh, food experiences I've had in 2023. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's one of the like best sandwiches I've ever had, 
I don't even think it's going to be in like my top 10 at the end of this at the end of this countdown, but I am definitely going to have this sandwich again. Um, and when I'm rating sandwiches, I'm not just yeah, I'm I'm rating them on their technical merits, but I'm also rating them on a category which is personal satisfaction. And this one got pretty high personal satisfaction. Like Luca liked it, and and I think I'm gonna I think I'm definitely gonna be going back. So Uncle Polly, Paul James, while I uh, take issue with your characterization that there are no other good East Coast style sandwiches in Los Angeles, I I like what you're doing. I see you. The next two experiences I want to tell you about are a little bit more on the fine dining side of the world. So let me begin with a place that opened up in Los Feliz relatively recently, maybe a couple months ago. Uh, It's called Mirate. Mirate means look at yourself. It's a very introspective uh, name for a restaurant. It's in the space that was formerly the Rockwell, which... If you, if you don't recall the Rockwell, the Rockwell was sort of like a restaurant slash theater space. It has a fond place in my memory because I once took my now wife on a date there um, to see, of all, of all things, a magician. Now, uh, I could make puns about how this was a magical night and all, but truthfully, it was one of the best magic shows I've ever been to. I am not a magic guy whatsoever. I uh, I think it's stupid. I remember uh, Cousin Saul, who is now uh, insisting on being called Father Saul, who's my sometimes co-host on this show, He uh, he's a huge magic fan. Like, it blows his mind. He's he's the kind of guy that shows you, like, videos on, on his phone and is like, look, I don't know how he did this. Uh, he believes that magicians are, are, are just carrying out physical feats. <laughs> and... Uh, and that it's not actually just sleight of hands and illusion. But uh, me, I'm not someone who gets easily impressed with that kind of stuff. I, uh, I, you know, I just kind of see it for what it is. Kind of like, you know, charlatans trying to make a buck. And you know what? I respect it. I respect the hustle. I just, it's not for me. But the show I saw at the Rockwell was by this Italian magician his name is Riccardo Berdini, and he's not just a magician, he is a uh, mentalist. Now, The Mentalist, in my mind, was just a kind of shitty show that was on network TV uh, about a decade ago, but it turns out it's actually a real thing. It's people who have studied like human behavior or like, you know, patterns of speech, body language, and from that can basically like deduce things that make it seem like they are reading your mind. So yes, Ricardo at the Rockwell was doing this show and he was doing simple magic tricks as well. But the things that really got me is when he would bring somebody to the stage, have a chit chat with them. And then after a little bit of talking to them, he, he'd ask them a question, something like, your mother died in, in 2017. And the person would, would just like their jaw would hit the ground and they'd be like, how did you know that? Because he was on the money. Like it, it was truly spooky. Like it was something that it was, it, that was otherworldly. Like I'm getting chills just thinking about this, this performance right now. And uh, that's what I remember about the Rockwell. I remember uh, be, my mind being blown by magic. Now, what they've done with Mirate is they've taken the space that was once the Rockwell. It's this beautiful like indoor outdoor space and they've basically made it feel like Tulum. You know, it's got those like lampshades, uh, those like woven basket lampshades that all of the Tulum restaurants have. Um, and it's got tons of plants, tons of foliage, lots of like earth tones, and uh, it's it's a beautiful space to begin with, but yes, they've they've done a great job in making it feel like you know a little oasis inside of Los Angeles. It's in Los Feliz. It's on it's on like Vermont, so it's a pretty like busy stretch. Uh, but you walk in there and you feel like you've taken a real vacation. Now, I've had the chef's food before. the The chef is a guy by the name of Joshua Hill. Um, that's G I L, and he used to run this amazing taqueria in Santa Monica called. Punta Cabras. Punta Cabras used to be located near uh, the St. John's Hospital, which was 
truly a phenomenal taqueria. Uh, it then relocated to one of those like to, to, to the floor of one of those like soulless key fob buildings where like uh, ritzy yuppies live. And uh, that place, the, the new location didn't really have a soul. Um, it was it was the bad lighting, bad vibes. And to this day, I believe that that's why it's no longer in existence. I believe that like, you know, it was just cursed from the moment that they moved from the original spot to the new spot. But the food never suffered in quality. It was excellent tacos. I remember them having a really good cauliflower taco before cauliflower tacos were like all the rage. Um, and they also did incredible seafood. They had like ceviches, like, like, like truly like mind-blowing food. And after Punta Cabras, from what I recall, Chef Hill disappeared for a little while and he popped up again um, at, a, at a spot in Beverly Hills in, I want to say 2021, called Mirame, which means look at me. And this, is, this could not be more different than like Punta Cabras. Mirame was like an extremely bougie, like Beverly Hills uh, Mexican restaurant. Uh, I went there for dinner one time and, it, and I remember having an incredible experience, but you know, you walked out feeling lighter because you just spent so much money. And, uh, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't remember a ton about that Mirame and Beverly Hills meal. I remember ordering salmon chicharron for the appetizer. And I remember being thoroughly blown away by that dish and probably eating too much of that <laughs> before moving on to the rest of the meal. So uh, that may have been what colored my experience there. But at Mirate, I got to say, it's they've taken the Mirame the Mirame like ethos of kind of like more expensive Mexican food and adapted it for the east side. It feels a little less like pretentious, a little less um a, a little bit more down to earth. Um sure, sure they've still got some dishes that you know, you wouldn't necessarily find at a street vendor in Mexico City, but that, you know, are tailored to the neighborhoods that they're in. Um, I feel like the dish that really I really recall from uh, Mirate in Los Feliz uh, was uh, crab esquites. Um, initially, I was skeptical of this. You know, I think I believe that like when you're cooking with certain products, the best thing to do is just let them live, you know, let them be themselves. And I'm not sure that putting crab with, you know, hot corn and cream or mayonnaise or things like that was a way to really elevate it. But I was wrong. It's a it's a very good dish. I think that, that the sweetness of the corn mirrors the sweetness of the crab in a really nice way. And when you're dipping the tortilla chip in there and you've got the texture, the textural element from that, it's uh it's honestly one of the best appetizers I've had all year. And uh and that one really stands out. The other thing about Mirate that I really enjoyed were the tacos. Now these are not your everyday tacos. I got to say, anytime I have a taco and I see that they're about to charge me seven or eight dollars for it, I start to get nervous. I start to get nervous. I'm like, this is, there's no way this is going to be worth it. I, I would much rather be at Los Palomas in Winnetka having like, you know, four Al Pastor tacos for the same amount of money that you're about to charge me for this fried chicken taco. But I am pleased to report that I was, uh, I was wrong about the tacos uh, at Mirte because they actually delivered on flavor. Um, there was a fried chicken taco that I remember particularly fondly, which was definitely like, you know, certain Mexican grandmothers would probably be rolling over in their graves. But it was fried chicken with something called Mexican ranch, which was like a, almost like, you know how they do uh, Calabrian chili ranch at certain restaurants. It was kind of like that, but like a Mexican version. Um, it had some Brussels sprouts leaves that were like crisped up for texture and some tomatillo chutney for brightness. And it was an incredibly well balanced taco. Um, was it worth $8? I don't know, but certainly it was a great bite. They've also got three tacos arabes on the menu, and my favorite one was their beef tongue taco, um, which on, on a flour tortilla, because that's, you know, traditional taco arabe, um, they, they 
did a good job with the beef tongue one because beef tongue, you know, it can be a little, a little much. So you need something to really cut it, cut that fat. And they added this beautiful tomato nopal vinaigrette. Um, and the nopal wasn't just a gimmick. It, it adds like a nice sort of like mineraliness, um, which actually paired well with the slight gaminess of the tongue in the taco. Truly, I, I, this chef knows what he's doing. And, uh, and I was very, very impressed with that particular dish. I also really liked that they had some sort of more modern takes on tlayudas. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the tlayuda is sort of like the Mexican version of pizza. Uh, it's more like the Oaxacan version of pizza. In fact, I think that the best tlayudas that I've had are probably at Galagetza in Koreatown. And they, they typically take like, you know, a, a large a large tortilla and, and, and make it really nice and crispy uh, before topping it with refried beans and, and other sort of like you know, sausage. You got queso fresh, queso Oaxaca. You got avocado sometimes. It becomes this like beautiful festival of flavors on this tortilla. But here... They have a beautiful scallop tlayuda, which honestly feels more like a tostada. But they, you know, tlayuda up that tortilla and they add these gorgeous scallops, like thinly sliced scallops with a sofrito that is fortified with a little bit of uni. Oh my God. And a peanut salsa, like a salsa matcha type thing. It's it hits all the notes. That that tlayuda hits all of the notes. I would highly recommend going to Mirate just for the scallop tlayuda, honestly. So Mirate took the magic that I once experienced at the Rockwell and repurposed it into culinary magic. So I I had to tell you about that meal. Absolutely incredible. Now, another newer restaurant I visited recently to keep it sort of in this like to keep the scallop uh, seafood love going. We're we're going from Los Feliz and we're taking a drive, a very traffic traffic full drive over to the west side to uh, Santa Monica's Main Street. And Santa Monica's Main Street is a part of the city that I think is cursed. Cursed when it comes to having rest, successful restaurants. When I think of Main Street... All I think about are the restaurants that have closed. Pour one out for all these restaurants. I mean, I remember a pizza spot that was doing like Tokyo style uh, pizza before Pizzeria Say was doing it. And uh, they they closed public trade. Pour one out for public trade. There was a really fun uh, bar that I loved called Pink Elephant. Pour one out for Pink Elephant. Um, there was another like pizza pasta place called Ariel, which was kind of more just like a brunch scene, but still, you know, pour one out for Ariel. And then recently a restaurant that had been doing really, you know, had been making a lot of noise at one point, Little Prince closed. And it's actually in the former Little Prince spot that a new restaurant has appeared. It's from the team that brought us Crudo and Nudo, uh, which is... A very, very popular like seafood spot also on Main Street in Santa Monica. And their whole thing is they, they kind of just like take excellent seafood and don't do too much to it. Um, just pair it with just the right things in order to really make it sing. And uh, it, it's it's a fun name too. You know, it's crudo e nudo. It means raw and naked in Italian, which is also how I describe Jonah Hill's performance in Wolf of Wall Street. Um it's it's uh it's it's headed by uh I believe a couple. I might be wrong about that, but I I don't believe I am. It's uh their names are Brian Borman and Lena Colhane and they basically took over the crudo uh, I'm sorry, the little prince spot and used the wood-fired oven that that's in there to create an entire concept around wood-fired seafood focused food you can go there and order like basically like from an entire list of skewers that have been treated with this wood-fired oven and it is a very special way to eat they've got an incredible chanterelle skewer um which has a little bit of like a uh, an, an Asian twist on it. Um, and these mushrooms are meaty as all hell. It's honestly like 
reminiscent of the uh, the mushroom. What is it? The mushroom kebab at Bavel. If you've ever had that, it like it, they basically try to make like you know the equivalent of a chicken kebab or like a kofta, but with mushrooms at Bavel. And previously to prior to going to Isla, I would have said that's the best mushroom dish in Los Angeles. But now I have a feeling that there is a new mushroom sheriff in the city and that is the chanterelle skewer here at isla so very very impressed with that one i also um you know as i as i mentioned it's mostly a seafood restaurant but they do have one non-seafood uh meat skewer and that is the chicken heart skewer and i gotta say you gotta have balls to make like the one meat dish on your menu or, or one of the only meat dishes on your menu a chicken heart skewer like that's not something a lot of people are going to be ordering, especially not on the West side, but it is absolutely beautifully done. And for those of you who are a little more squeamish, I was there with some friends who have never tried chicken hearts before. And, uh, the overall table consensus was that these things tasted like sausage and who doesn't love sausage. So highly recommend getting the chicken heart skewers there. Um, their mains are also done using the wood fire uh, oven, and we ordered the kanpachi. The kanpachi was, hands down, one of the best fish dishes I've had in the city of Los Angeles. Kanpachi is like a very popular fish that's appearing on menus these days, uh, but I usually find it to be, it's kind of a blank canvas, you know? It's like, you know a lot of it comes down to how it's treated. Now, I loved the application of harissa on Isla's Kampachi. I thought it made it super interesting, super spicy. It just really sexed things up. And I think they applied it on the skin, which in the wood-fired oven really crisped up and caramelized in this gorgeous, beautiful way that made every bite sweet umami spicy like the 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 spices of the the harissa as well were also sort of like just emanating from being like awakened in the wood-fired oven it was it was truly a beautiful way to to treat the fish it was served with some really quite nice braised greens um which also made the meal feel healthy and hey if you're on the west side you want to feel like you're healthy in case you got to go for a late night swim after right so yeah, Isla. Uh, what else can I say about it? Oh, oh, yeah. The last thing I want to say about Isla is it's a brand new restaurant. Like literally, I went on like the first day of service. Um, and typically with uh, brand new restaurants, they can be kind of kind of a shit show. Let's be honest. Um, you know, they're not exactly well-oiled machines yet. Um, but Isla was pretty much firing on all cylinders. They were They were very on top of it. And uh, the only snafu was at at one point in the evening, um, my wife and I were sitting backs to backs to the wall, and there was a vase uh, behind my wife, and you know I must have told a funny joke or something, and she cocked her head back in laughter, and it brushed the flowers in the vase, and the vase tipped over. <laughs> And um, and fell onto her. Now this sounds more dangerous than it actually was. It was a very small vase, so you know it 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 was it wasn't um, a health hazard by any means. But the chef who was manning the wood fired oven spotted this happening, and I shit you not, left whatever the hell he was doing, and rushed over to secure to like help my wife. And I was like. That's that, you know what I commend that you could have been handling a very like you know expensive piece of kampachi or black cod or hen breast, and uh, and and you let it go in order to come and see if my wife was okay after being hit in the head with some flowers. So, um, you know the service at a brand new restaurant. I gotta say, very impressed with everything that Isla had to offer. Oh, last thing I'll say about Isla, cocktail program was legit. I I think the the cocktail uh, person. Uh, has worked at some other big restaurants. Uh, I believe uh, here's looking at you in in uh, in uh, Koreatown and also Tasting Kitchen on Abakini. And uh, there's some really interesting numbers on the menu. For example, I really enjoyed the white mezcal Negroni. Now, I love a Negroni, and I like it even better when it's got that smoky kiss of mezcal. 
and uh, their their version here had a little pomplemousse in there. So it also kind of like tickled that sort of like LaCroix desire that every white millennial has. So very much enjoyed that. So Isla, highly recommend. One of the most memorable meals I've had in 2023. Now, I'm going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, I'm going to tell you about the number one most memorable meal I've had in 2023. Stay tuned. It's time to tell you about the best meal I've had in 2023 thus far, and I'm not going to beat around the bush. The best meal I've had was pasta night at Pizzana. Now, a lot of you know that I have an absolute love affair with pizza. It's my favorite food in the world. A lot of you may even know that I have a bit of a love affair with Pizzana. It's my favorite pizzeria. I think that their neo-Neapolitan dough is some of the most exciting, interesting, yet also like traditional uh, style of pizza that you can get in Los Angeles. But I think what really makes Pizzana so great is the chef. Daniele Uditi is an incredible human being, but he's also just an absolutely out-of-this-world chef. His brain, when it comes to things like flavor pairings, works in a way that is just awe-inspiring. You can tell this just by the toppings that he has on Pizzana's regular pizzas. Like, for example, he has a pizza there called the Pignatiello, which is short rib, tomato sauce, and this like gorgeous house-made Parmesan cream. And the way that all those things work together, it just it, – it's an evocative flavor profile. It, it brings you back to like the best bolognese you've ever had. And for a lot of people, that's like an extremely comforting memory because, you know, bolognese is something that – yes, of course, for Italians, it's, it's, like, it's like the Sunday sauce. You know, it brings you back to sitting around a table with your family. But – also, for a lot of people who aren't Italian, it's, it's, a, it's an easy meal that your mom or dad may have made at some point in your life uh, because, you know, it's, 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 an, it's a relatively easy thing to whip up, especially if you're not doing it the, the, the proper bolognese way, right? So that's an incredible pizza. There are other ones that really stand out. Like, for example, he, he has this riff on a pineapple pizza called Il Sacrilegio, which means the sacrilege. Now, you know, you know, listener, that in Italy, we don't put pineapple on pizza. In fact, if you tried to do that in Italy, you'd probably be deported on the spot. And Daniele, Chef Daniele, I think, is, an, is a supporter of that particular policy and hates the idea of pineapple on pizza, but accepted and embraced the challenge to find a way to make pineapple on pizza delicious. And he did it by like roasting the pork and making a pineapple gelée. And it just creates this beautiful like sweet and salty thing um, that avoids all the like cloying disgustingness of the usual pineapple on pizza that you get. So... Look, this guy's a flavor genius, and what a lot of people don't realize is that he's an incredible pizzaiolo, but more than that, he's just an incredible chef, and his range is honestly so far beyond pizza that it's honestly only a matter of time, I think, before we start seeing other concepts appear, Um, but... When it comes to pasta night at Pizzana, I'm not kidding when I say that this is an incredibly difficult reservation to get. He started doing this, I want to say, like last year, maybe the year before that. And every once in a while, uh, the announcement goes out. Chef Daniela is going to do a pasta night at Pizzana. And I believe they put it out on their email list. Maybe they put it out on social media as well. But from the moment the announcement goes out, the reservations are snapped up in a matter of minutes. It's nuts. It's like I've tried to get a reservation pretty much every time it happens, and I have alerts on my phone for when Pizzana emails, and still I've I was never able to get one. They were they were snapped up in minutes, if not seconds. Like truly one of the hottest tickets in town that nobody was talking about. 
Finally, dear listener, I was able to get a reservation. I got one uh, for late March, and I was counting down the days like like it was Christmas. You know, I was I was very excited. Now, don't get me wrong; there is a lot of excellent pasta in Los Angeles. Pasta has had a bit of like a renaissance in Los Angeles over the last ten years or so. You know. Obviously, there's the quote-unquote patron saint of, of L.A. pasta, Evan Funky, who uh, has Felix and Mother Wolf in Hollywood. And, you know, I have my opinions about his pasta, but a lot of people love it. And the one thing you can say about the guy is that he certainly, you know, made pasta one of the most, like, hot, sexy foods in Los Angeles right now. And... I think there are better pasta restaurants out there. There's, you know, for example, I, I really like Bachetti in Echo Park. I love Factory Kitchen downtown. Their Mandili di Seta are to die for. Alimento in Silver Lake is an excellent place also. I also like some more of the, like, down-home spots, like La Parolaccia in Long Beach, which, which is an excellent Roman Roman-style osteria, putting out some, you know, classic Roman dishes, but also uh, some some slightly more creative adaptations. But there's no lack of pasta in Los Angeles, right? That said, the pasta I had at Pasta Night was the best pasta that I've had in Los Angeles. Not only that, maybe it was the best pasta I've ever had. Now, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, all of the people that have ever made pasta for me in Italy. But this this shit was next level, okay? So let me paint you a picture. You've you finally got your reservation at Pizzana for pasta night. You're absolutely stoked. You get there and you're handed the regular menu. And yeah, a couple pizzas are going to catch your eye because you're a glutton and you can't help yourself. But you're handed like a little menu. You know, like the, the smaller ones that are usually reserved for happy hours. You're handed one of those. And you see that on offer tonight, there are four pastas. There is a, a bolognese. There is a, kind of like a take on a pesto. There is a uh, vodka, a vodka pasta. And then there is a carbonara. What do you do? Well, if your name is Luca and you got two thumbs I'm, that are pointing themselves uh, to myself, you order all four. You order all four, dear listener. And... Here's my definitive ranking of the four pastas that I had. So, look, it's like picking my favorite child, you know? Like, they were all incredible. But here's just my personal preference. In fourth place, I'm going to put the Bolognese. Now, Daniele, it almost feels like a slap in the face to put the Bolognese number four because the amount of care and attention that goes into this this sauce is maniacal. Like, he braises this sauce for eight hours. That's a long time. You can do a lot of things in eight hours. You can get from Los Angeles to Las Vegas and back in the time that it takes to make this sauce. And it is an incredible sauce. It's deep. It's got notes of white wine. It's got a lot of tomato, uh, which is not typically how I make my bolognese, but I'm also not an award-winning chef, so what the hell do I know? It's uh, it's a spectacular sauce, and he, he cooks it on these, like, he, he serves it with these, like, longer ribbons of pasta. Um, they're supple. They're soft. They really, like, add... Uh, they they make it it almost feels like dirty to talk about them they're so like sexy you know um it's an excellent dish honestly this dish alone is probably the best pasta dish you can get in Los Angeles if it weren't for the three other pastas on this particular menu now in third place i'm going to put the the pesto he doesn't call it a pesto he calls it i think a basil sauce um, but it tastes a lot like a pesto. It doesn't. It also is served with like pine nuts and the real kicker, fried artichokes. And uh, I gotta say, it's it's pretty spectacular. Uh, this one's served on a long noodle. I think it's uh, 
it's it's like a tornarello almost, um, like a very like a very thick spaghetti, if you will. And it's got a beautiful bite to it. It's cooked perfectly. It's made perfectly. And you've got, you know, the herbaceousness of the pesto, the like salty cheesiness from the cheese that's in the sauce. And then you've got like the nuttiness from the pine nuts and the crunch from the artichokes. It's a, it's a gorgeous dish, you know. It's, uh, it's if you're a vegetarian especially, it's probably one of the best things <laughs> you can eat. I mean, come on. It's, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. Um, in second place, I'm putting the pasta la vodka. I, I got to say, it is a ballsy move for Daniele to be making pina la vodka when one of LA's most famous pasta dishes probably are the fusilia la vodka from John and Vinny's, which is down the street in Brentwood. You know, it's like it's like if I uh, if I was like, you know, I'm gonna open up uh, an impromptu French dip store right next to Philippe's and and see what happens. You know, even if you know you can make it better, it's just a ballsy thing to do because that's the version that Angelinos know. John and Vinny's is the version that Angelinos know. Even if Daniela's is better, which it is, which it absolutely is. Like Angelinos just associate John and Vinny's pasta la vodka with excellence. So it's a risky thing to do. But I am not kidding when I say this is one of the most excellent vodka sauces you can ever have. It's smoky. It's got an incredible kick to it. It's very well balanced. My problem with John and Vinny's Fusilia La Vodka is it's an absolute salt lick. Like, I have to make sure when I go to John and Vinny's to try everything else first because I know the moment that a Fusilo hits my tongue, my palate is going to be blown the hell out. It's delicious, but one of the saltiest pastas (laughs) I think is out there. Um, Daniele manages to show a bit of restraint with the salt, but still, you know, retain all that richness, that naughtiness that happens with pasta la vodka. It's creamy. It's it's served on like a, a pasta. I forget the name of it, but it's kind of like a larger pin, pin, pinne. Um, and it's cooked to perfection. It's got, it retains the sauce really nicely as well because it's like, you know, it's got like the, the hollowed out inside, which sops up a lot of sauce. Ugh. Honestly, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. But the best, but the best pasta that I had at Pizzana's Pasta Night, and therefore the best pasta I've ever had in Los Angeles, was Daniele's Carbonara. Now, Carbonara has an incredibly special place in my heart. I'm from Rome, and Carbonara is kind of like the national dish of Rome. You know, there's like... There's like the holy trinity of pastas in, in Rome and they're, they're the three sort of like most famous dishes that you can get there. One is Amatriciana, one is Pasta La Grisha, and the other is Carbonara. And honestly, it's like, you know, it's like warring factions. You know, which whichever one is your favorite says a lot about you. And uh, Carbonara is, is one of the, the simplest ones, um, but also... One of the sexiest, and here's why. Yes, it's got guanciale, which is like better bacon. It's taken from the, 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 the jowl of the pig, and something about the fat content in there just really brings things to the next level. Daniele gets his, you know, I, th- I, think, I, I think he gets it from, from the old country, and easily the best guanciale I've had in Los Angeles. It's got... Tons of pecorino cheese, which is mixed with egg yolks to make like a beautiful paste, which then is, is, is tossed with some pasta water to make a gorgeous sauce. And the eggs are not – you got to be really careful because you don't want to scramble the eggs. You basically want to like temper them on really low heat so that they create this like silky sauce that just coats the noodles to perfection. And – that is what Daniele 
achieves here. Now, there there are other good carbonaras in the city. I had a pretty good one at Bachetti and Echo Park. There's a very decent one at La Parolaccia and Long Beach, but Daniele's is absolutely next level. Um, oh, the other key thing about carbonara is you got to add lots of black pepper, which Daniele's did not disappoint. He serves it on the same noodle that uh, he uses for the pesto one, so it's that thicker spaghetti, the tornarello, I believe. And I mean, it's the kind of bite where you just take one take one bite and you close your eyes and you're just like transported. It's it's one of the most like exhilarating yet calming yet arousing experiences you can have. It's just like truly it transcends. This pasta transcends. And uh, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. You know, I, uh, uh, it, it's, it's my favorite dish, as I mentioned, which means it's, it's a dish I've had a lot of my life. And it's one that my mom made for me a lot growing up. Um, you know, every birthday we got to choose our, uh, what, like the menu for our dinner, right? And um, my, my choice was always carbonara. And uh, every time we would go visit my grandmother in Rome, uh, she would she would make me a carbonara on the first night we were there, uh, because uh, I, I'm the eldest of three siblings. So she would do me the first night with carbonara, and then she'd do my my siblings' uh, favorite meals the following nights. But you know, it's a sentimental dish to me, and and to have it done executed at such a high level, um, I have no doubt that this meal is going to remain one of my top meals. For not just all of 2023, but maybe of all time, honestly. This is an all-time meal. Pasta night at Pizzana is an all-time meal. Oh, I will mention too that he makes like a special focaccia for pasta night as well, If in case you want an appetizer. It was absolutely insane. It's a slightly different dough, like a slightly wetter dough, I think, than what he does for his uh, his pizza. And he topped it with just some like out-of-this-world prosciutto and some excellent cheese and like... Yeah, it's a very like rich start to the meal, but um, you know what? You're a pasta night. You're going to be balling at it regardless, so you might as well do it. Now, I wax lyrical for about 20 minutes on, on Pizzana's pasta night, so it feels like that'll do for today. But uh, seriously, if you want to go to pasta night, get on Pizzana's email list, set up your alerts, do whatever you have to do. There's another one coming up, I think, in the next few weeks. Um, so, uh, you know. Put on your notify on Resi and see if you can get in. It's an absolute must. <sighs> you know what? I'm going to go and make some pasta. That's what I'm going to do. Well, thanks, listener. I appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll be right back with the closing credits. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, leave us a rating. If you're looking for me, you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram at the LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N. We'll be back next week with guests, so look forward to that. In the meantime, countdown out.